This is a podcast of Sunday Kitchen Church from First Baptist Church in Kenora. My name is Gord Day Janst, host of the podcast and pastor at First Baptist Church. This week's podcast is about dealing with resurrection the week after. So the inevitable has finally happened. COVID-19 has made its presence felt in the small northwestern Ontario town in which I live. It certainly has made me look at my past week with different eyes. I had two encounters with groups of people this week that I view more critically than I might have otherwise. If it's possible, I may even be checking my own health more carefully, waiting for some signs of sickness. I was also a part of two meetings this week that put me in contact with two very courageous people who, on a daily basis, are dealing with the more challenging elements of the crisis. One woman, who's director of our fellowship center, talked about the demands that are being placed on her, her staff, and the staff of the Northwestern Health Unit working at her facility. They are working long hours to keep one of the very vulnerable sectors of our community safe. And it grows more difficult as access to necessary programs are increasingly being limited, reduced to virtual meetings that many cannot connect with. She indicated she has noticed a subtle shift in the demeanor of people who frequent her center. She and the staff are more cautious as the danger of frustration being acted out increases. I have another friend whose waking hours are taken up thinking about worst-case scenarios and trying to make sure that our health care is prepared for them. The pressure of figuring out how to keep the population safe from extreme outcomes keeps him awake at night. When I talk to brave people like this who are willing to put their own health on the line to keep others safe, the coward in me that can lie dormant in normal circumstances begins to wake up and works at finding excuses not to become more involved. I can't risk volunteering with vulnerable people because I live with someone who works in a vulnerable sector. I'm not proud of it, but it's there. Here's the truth. As a person of faith, As a person who is considered a faith leader, I struggle with a variety of anxieties and fears that are heightened during these challenging times. I want my faith to mean something when life becomes demanding. I don't want to doubt that God can look after me and those I love. I want to understand what it means to have faith when life is hard. I want to have confidence that God is faithful and present, even when it doesn't look or feel like it. The epistle reading for today is found in 1 Peter 1. Here's what he writes. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I want my faith to be proven genuine, but I fear it may be a faith of straw. I learned something this week that I didn't know before. I learned that the Gospel lectionary reading for the first Sunday after Easter is always consistent. All through the three years of the lectionary cycle, the first Sunday after Easter tells the story of Thomas. 
Think about that for a moment. A week after we declare our joy in the resurrected Christ, we are, as one commentator put it, invited to say the heretical thing we feel deep inside. Unless I see him for myself, I won't believe. We're invited to feel wary, skeptical. For those who struggle with doubt, Thomas is a hero. He's the guy who gives us permission to acknowledge that our faith is fragile and it wouldn't take much for us to let it all go. He gives us permission to ask the hard questions, to be wary of easy answers, skeptical of what others might take for granted. I'm grateful the Gospel writers not only tell us the stories of great miracles, but also tell us the stories of selfishness, fears, pride, betrayal, and doubt, not in the general population, but in the small circle of friends who left everything to follow Jesus and were with him every day. They tell the story of Mary and Martha, supporters and faithful followers of Jesus, but they felt bitterly let down by Jesus when he didn't come to their aid after they told him their brother Lazarus was deathly ill. Jesus healed so many, but when their turn came, he was nowhere to be found. The story is found in the Gospel of John chapter 11, and when he finally did arrive, Martha accuses him by saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Just a few verses later, a very distressed Mary says exactly the same thing. They both are trying to hang on to faith, but Jesus has disappointed them, and that disappointment finds challenging expressions. I grew up with people of great faith. If they had doubts, they didn't let us see them. That's what Christians and people of faith are supposed to do, right? Rise above doubts and fears and live in the victory of faith. Live in the wonderful grace of Jesus. The story of Thomas, however, gives us a different picture. It tells us the story of someone who had that faith until an event so shattering sent him into a tailspin. Apparently, the original language of this story suggests that it wasn't simply that Thomas was absent from a meeting of the disciples because he had other things to do or other places to be, but rather that he had declared himself done with the whole business of Jesus, the Messiah, the coming kingdom. He wasn't coming back. It's interesting that for Thomas, it wasn't good enough just to see Jesus. The other disciples saw Jesus, and that was enough for them, though just to be on the safe side, they still kept the doors locked. Boy, do I understand that. Thomas had to see more. He had to see the wounds in Jesus' hands and side. Even that wasn't enough. He had to be able to put his hands into the wounds just to make sure that they were for real. Jesus' wounds represent his suffering. They tell us the story of Jesus' own battle with faith and doubt. I hadn't really thought about this until I read the article titled Unless I See by Debbie Thomas that I quoted just a moment ago. She goes on to make this important observation. We welcome stories of failure to an extent, but only when those stories are shared in retrospect, long after the sordid worst is over. Sin that has surrendered to holiness? Ah, that's a Christian story. But sin that clings? Challenges that won't ease up? A wound, physical, psychological, or relational, that remains? We squirm. We turn our eyes away. We worry. But Jesus' wounded body, she goes on to say, reminds me that some hurts are for keeps. Some markers of pain, loss, trauma, and horror, leave traces that no amount of piety will take away. 
Some wounds remain even after resurrection, and that's okay. It's okay to celebrate Jesus' rising and grieve our catastrophic losses at the same time. It's okay to hear other people's uplifting face stories and say, I'm happy for you, but my heart is still broken. It's okay to ache for more of Jesus and to hold our ache in tension with the joys of Easter. I was once told after a Sunday service, Gord, don't preach your doubts. It may be good advice, but I wonder. As I struggle to find my faith footing during a time when my cowardliness, doubts, and fears are heightened, I think with Thomas, I will set that advice aside for a moment. I desperately need to hear that Jesus doesn't turn his back on my fears and doubts, but is willing to expose the wounds of his own suffering. I need to be reminded that Jesus had his own struggle with doubt as a result of fear. I need to hear that it's okay not to have it all together. And, rather than jumping quickly to the happy conclusion of Thomas's story and his restoration to faith, I want to embrace the moment of doubt and rest in Jesus's love that still touches me there. I want to rest there because I don't know if my faith story will end the same way that Thomas's did. And... I need to know that Jesus is willing to meet with me while I'm struggling, fearful and anxious, not after I've got it all figured out, and that he will stay with me there as long as it is necessary. I need to realize it's okay to acknowledge how fragile my faith really is. And I think that's the good news of this story. It's not the ending, though a happy ending to a difficult story is a good thing. It's how we get to the happy ending. It's the good news that Jesus will meet us where we are on our journey. It's Jesus being patient with us. It's Jesus wanting to show us the evidence of his love that we claim we need if we're willing to open our eyes to see it. That's the story of the next week. The story of learning how to live with resurrection. I'm glad it's always the story of Thomas because that means the story includes me. I'm not abandoned for the ones who believe and rejoice. It means that I too have a place in the presence of the risen Christ. And so do you.